This is your pain game podcast, where we talk about the game of living in and with chronic pain and trauma, getting to the heart of how to heal. I am your host, Lindsay Soprano. On the show, I plan on discussing with doctors, chronic pain patients, holistic practitioners, loved ones, and anybody that is interested in having their voice heard in the chronic pain and trauma world that we live in. talk about a couple scary things today. I'm not that we don't really talk about scary things on every show, but we always handle it with a little bit of laughter, even though it's scary. (laughs) But one of the things that I want to talk about today amongst many is being in long-term chronic pain can actually change the structure of our brains. And as we've talked a lot about on the show, we've talked about brain health, we've talked about the brain-pain connection, and we're going to continue to do so as we learn more about that um, as science is trying to keep up with us, right? (laughs) We've all turned into our own doctors. You know, chronic pain reduces the volume of gray matter in our brains. And what is gray matter, right? Gray matter is the area of the brain that controls learning, attention, memory, thought process, motor control, coordination. I am a mess, guys. And that absolutely scares the crap out of me because as I've been on this journey um, with my CRPS and trauma and so on and so forth, I 100% believe that my brain has been affected by it. And then it's also been affected by trauma, right? It hasn't just been, oh, I got sick and I've got this disease. I believe that the trauma actually has created this, which we're going to fix, right? It's all scary. And my focus isn't what it used to be. I'm bloody exhausted all day long, every day. Today, I'm particularly more tired than usual, which is hard to believe. But it truly is amazing that I can get anything accomplished. And I thank God for grit, right? (laughs) My memory is getting worse. My ability to multitask has started to decline. I'm starting to feel like a man doing things linear. This blows. (laughs) My interactions with some people in my world are far more volatile than they used to be. You know, things piss me off a little bit more than they usually. I'm more agitated. I'm more anxious. I get triggered so much easier. I'm things that should not bother me at all. I don't handle stressors the way that I should on a day-to-day basis. And my patience when it comes to lazy ass people taking advantage of me and other people in this world is gone. I'm like frazzled, right? My brain feels like pudding half of the time. And I know some of that is six concussions as well. I mean, it goes on and on. Our brains are so precious. And so many of these things that have happened to us over our lives can lead to things like Parkinson's and dementia and Alzheimer's, just to name a few, right? So how can we protect and heal our brains from injury and trauma and prevent any further decline or get in front of the decline before it begins, right? So let's talk about it. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you my guest today, Dr. Margaret Apostle. Hello, darling. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And Dr. Postle is a board-certified physician. She's in Texas in both family and integrative medicine. After receiving her undergraduate degree in nutrition science and completing her residency through Ohio State University, she went on to complete her integrative medicine fellowship through the University of Arizona. Dr. Postle also continues to explore new research and treatment breakthroughs as a certified practitioner through the Institute of Functional Medicine, which we talk about all the time on the show, functional medicine, right? the only way to fly now, guys. That's it. (laughs) She has partnered with a doctor named Dr. Um, Dale Bredesen on his innovative approach to cognitive health through the Bredesen Certified Recode Protocol. So we're going to get into a little bit of that. So, all right, I'm going to roll out the red carpet for you, babe. 
And I'd like to start with the importance of brain health and in the chronic pain patient. I know we're going to get into dementia and Alzheimer's and all that, and let's kind of take it from there. Absolutely. So I think brain health is a topic that's somewhat taboo because most of the time people are assuming that any kind of cognitive changes are kind of a telltale sign that someone's on a path to cognitive decline or dementia or some kind of neurodegenerative disease, which is not always the case. You know, many people out there experience some type of subjective brain fog, poor word finding skills, poor memory retention, and and that could be due to a million different things. And so I know we'll probably talk about later about all the multitude of factors that could be involved. But I think when we are thinking of our physical health, sometimes the brain is not really emphasized because we almost compartmentalize as if our brain is something separate. And then we're worried about our, you know, our insides, our, our internal organs, our gut, our hormones, our immune system. So sometimes that brain aspect gets put on the back burner. <laughs> no kidding. And that's one of the things that's scary. Because what, I, what I've seen is there have been things that like over time, I noticed like this weird buzzing that I have in the back of the bottom of my brainstem, right? Is buzzing. Mm-hmm. It just was slight. And then now it's constant. I just constantly feel like I have a vibrator on the back of my skull. Okay, I'm usually, I'm, clearly I'm using my vibrator wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it feels like. And over time, I kind of have ignored it. But I mean, I've been hit in the head and fall. I mean, the concussions I've had just alone, I feel like I'm a football player, you know, but I didn't have any protection around me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a good point that, you know, when when we, we kind of put our brains in the back, we think, oh, well, our brains and our heart are just going to keep on doing everything that they're going to be doing. But that could actually be your adrenal failure. <laughs> it could be your liver being sluggish. It could be so many other things. Absolutely. And I think that's the part where people don't understand that there are multiple factors over, I mean, I'd say even 40 factors that can contribute to kind of a slowed, you know, cognitive speed or cognitive processing. Um, and I think it's really important that somebody work with a practitioner that's well-versed, whether it's a recode, whether it's a functional medicine doctor, um, that can kind of look at all those holes, basically, and see what are the gaps that we can fill. So how does that work with, with, your, pro- with your practice? And I know that you met, we talked about the recode protocol, and I kind of want to talk about that as well. Um, how that, how that, what, is that, what does that actually mean? <laughs> what yes, is this yes. protocol? <laughs> so the recode protocol, it stands for Reversal of Cognitive Decline. And this is a program that was created by Dr. Dale Bredesen, um, who's out from, uh, I believe, he's in San Francisco. And he's a neurologist, and he basically pioneered that in the sense that there are a multitude of factors, which he described in his book, holes in the roof, right? And so we're looking at over 30 holes in the roof that we're trying to patch. And these 30 holes are mechanisms that play a role in promoting cognitive impairment, whether that's a neurodegenerative disease or not. So not all cognitive impairment is due to Alzheimer's or dementia. For example, we look at things like inflammation, right? We know inflammation is probably an, uh, an epidemic in this country, uh, but no kidding. there could be a multitude of you know sources of inflammation, which you kind of have to go down a rabbit hole to look for those things. We look at things like sugar, right? They even uh, coined the term uh, type 2 diabetes uh, oh, for Alzheimer's. Wow. Yes, that's another name for it. Because as you can imagine, having high blood sugar will definitely damage nerve cells. And so we we know a lot of diabetics who develop neuropathy from high blood sugar. Well, where do you have a ton of nerve fibers, right? In your brain. So it can cause neurological damage in that sense. 
We also look at things what we, we term trophic loss. So these are basically nutrients and hormones. So if we're deficient in any of those things, that can certainly impact cognitive processing. Toxins. Toxins is actually an interesting subject because we don't really think too much about it. We know it's there, but we don't really give too much credit. But toxins are everywhere. And as long as you're breathing and you're on this planet Earth, you are exposed to toxins. And there are genetic susceptibilities and variances where there are people who just don't naturally detoxify very well. Or you can have people that live in a moldy home or they have chronic infections, heavy metals, mercury in the mouth, and so forth. So we look at toxins. The other thing we look at is vascular disease. So do you have a lot of uh, plaque buildup, which can happen in the brain, not just the heart? So you can have compromised blood flow in the brain. Let's say you've had many strokes or you've had multiple strokes. So that would also play a big role. And then trauma. So just like you mentioned, concussions or any sort of traumatic brain injury will affect the structure of the brain and, and in terms of its functioning. So when we're evaluating somebody with cognitive changes, we're looking at all those factors. And that's kind of like the, the 30 or 30 plus holes in the roof analogy that we look at. And we say, how many holes can we try to patch up in this process? I feel like my head is, <laughs> is Swiss cheese, okay? My roof has so many holes. And, and that's why I opened up with it being scary because it is scary for me right now. I've, I've been experiencing things with my brain that I haven't actually spoken about on this show yet because it's kind of like, I finally, we talk about how a lot of these whispers over the years finally start to scream and then they're yelling at you and then they're like, okay, we're just going to kill you now because you haven't been listening to me. And so these little tiny whispers, my little vibrator at the back of my neck, right? My brain feels like it's shaking inside of my head, just like a little teeny bit. I don't know any way else to explain it. And I feel like I almost have tremors. My hands shake a little bit and I've got weird things that happen with my lips and my face sometimes. It's just like weird. And I'm like, don't Google it. <laughs> Don't do that because I have everything on the planet, starting with early onset Parkinson's, which one doctor said was it was clear that I was probably heading that direction. So oh my, who knows oh what my. that even means? So that's why I'm here too on this show is to reverse all of this stuff. So Absolutely. we're talking about with the RECODE. Can you tell us what RECODE stands for again? Reversal of Cognitive Decline. Okay, so how so you you go into your Swiss cheese roof and you start patching those things up and that's part of this protocol and then you find like leaky areas where well that guy's not patched up that guy's not going to work how does that how does that work So typically we do a, a quite a detailed intake so we're looking at lifestyle factors of course so we need to know history onset of symptoms the type of symptoms that they're having we learn about are they sleeping, right? If they're not sleeping, that's a big problem. Are they not breathing at night? Do they have sleep apnea? So that means they might be losing oxygen at nighttime, which is you know losing oxygen in your brain. We look at how much physical activity they're doing. And so I'm going to go into a little detail later on those lifestyle factors, chronic stress. And that stress can be psychological stress, and it can also be a physiological stressor. And what I mean by physiological stressor is somebody who's fighting chronic inflammation, somebody who's maybe sleep deprived, someone who's, let's say, under eating or over exercising. So these are physical stressors that somebody might be going through. And we kind of take that in addition to doing some detailed lab testing. So we're trying to do blood work for each of those categories. So we're looking at inflammatory markers, sugar markers, nutrients, hormones, cholesterol. Um, and we may kind of go down a rabbit hole if somebody has vascular disease. And then with traumatic brain injury or any kind of trauma, you know, we can't go in the past, clearly. We wish we could. 
but how can we stabilize and optimize neuronal firing and cognitive functioning as best we can? And we'll use mostly nutraceuticals as a support or herbals to help promote that. Definitely not against the medication if it's appropriate, but that's usually the tools that we'll consider. And it can be an intense protocol um, because we're kind of trying to fill in those gaps, but we're also trying to implement lifestyle changes, including dietary changes. A lot of times we'll recommend putting someone on a ketogenic diet. And, and yes, it's a fad diet, but this is actually a therapeutic diet for these patients. And being in a state of ketosis is not a diet, it's a metabolic process. And ketones really help when it comes to enhancing cognitive functioning because it crosses the blood-brain barrier and it can also be, um, it can actually help with modulating inflammation. And it mimics a process called autophagy, which is basically cellular cleanup. And that occurs when we fast. So there's many reasons for implementing a ketogenic diet, but I would say getting ketones to the brain is probably one of the most important things someone can do when they're having some challenges from a cognitive deficit standpoint. Well, God, I'm so frustrated, not because of you. Because <laughs> I, you know, we talk about this stuff all the time on this show, right? And I, I talk to functional medicine. This is the first time the word ketones has ever come up. Interesting. Um, and the only time, yeah, that's why I'm like, oh my gosh. And the only reason that I know anything about ketones to a certain extent is because I had two dogs that were diabetic. That's it. And so I was dealing with that with them, but I never thought about that being an, anything that would need to be applied to something in my life. I, I've had doctors that are telling me, you know, you need to do paleo and you need to do this and I need to do that. My biggest problem, as we, my listeners know, is that I have an eating disorder, which I didn't, I didn't know that I was creating. It just happened to be a pain. Um, I'm just nauseous all the time. I don't feel like eating. I'm sensitive to smell. I'm sensitive to light. Like I'm all these things. And some of that is also me telling myself that I'm sensitive to light and I'm sensitive to smells and all that. So like I need to try, try to work on changing that narrative a little bit more than I do. So I'll try start liking food again. So nutrition, and I know that's one of your specialties, is, is a huge component for people, especially in chronic pain. And also when you get older, your eating patterns catch up with you. <laughs> you know, I'm Absolutely. watching that with my sweetie. And he's like, wow, uh, I need to like stop eating bread. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit. You don't need it like 10 times a day, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it tastes good. Um, (laughs) But, you know, think about metabolic ketosis, right? And so when you say the word ketogenic diet, it kind of gives people a little bit of a bad taste because in modern times, people are looking at keto like this modified Atkins, like, you know, steak and cheese and bacon. And that's not what we're focusing on. We're trying to focus on an anti-inflammatory ketogenic diet. So if you think about our ancestors, they were actually in a predominant state of ketosis. And ketosis, like I mentioned, is a metabolic state. So our bodies function on running two forms of fuel, right? We have glucose and we also have ketones. And so think about our ancestors. You know, they didn't have access to food like we do. We can go to the grocery store or go pick up food through the drive-thru every, you know, two, three, four hours if we want to. But back then, they didn't have that luxury and they had to hunt for their food. They had to forage for their food and they went days without it. So from a survival perspective, our body generated something called ketones and ketones only occur when we've depleted all our glycogen in our body. And glycogen is basically our carbohydrate storage. That's where we store our sugar. And that's a very quick burning type of fuel. So tapping into ketosis allowed these people to have energy, to have mental clarity for them to go look for food, right? 
So imagine like having a sugar crash and you had to go, you know, walk 10 miles to go find your next meal, you'd be dead. The human, you know, race would be dead by this point. So ketones also suppressed hunger and it allowed them to have that energy. And so when we eat food, we break that fast in that sense and we get out of ketosis. And so they were metabolically adapted to be in a ketogenic state for the most part. And if they got kicked out of it, it was temporary and they went right back into it. And now we look at the modern world, we are in a perpetual state of sugar burning, meaning we burn through our sugar fuels, which lasts about four to six hours, and it's time to eat again, and the cycle repeats. So it's not a fad diet, it's a metabolic state, and that is a preferred metabolic state physiologically, but we just, we're not familiar with it now due to modern day lifestyles. Yeah, for sure. I mean, can we just drive through and get whatever we want to whenever we want to? I mean, it, and it... And that that's also scary because our food is so gross. <laughs> right, right. Especially in the United States of America. I go to Italy and I'm in Tuscany or wherever I am. And even in France and Spain and whatever, no digestive issues. I sleep like a baby. I My skin feels better. My eyes don't feel so tired. Like the just the, the weight that this country has put on our bodies from sick care instead of health care really Absolutely. is it's is catching up with us all. Um, and it must be so hard as a practitioner who really is like, good God, what are we doing? And wanting to try to fix everybody and fix everything. And we, we can't. And we're doing it one person at a time like we're doing right now. So, okay. So when we're talking about... Because the word keto is so like popular, as you mentioned, right? So there's keto, the way that we're hearing it right now in marketing. And I'm in marketing and we just... We're horrible people. <laughs> So when we're talking about keto versus your version of keto, right? What, is, yes. what does that look like from a nutritional? Because it's obviously a little bit different. You're not having me go grab bars out of CVS on the bottom shelf that say keto on them. <laughs> right, right. So it's, it's, it's all natural, of course. It, there's a lot of plants, a lot of vegetables. And I'd argue that it's mostly a plant-based diet with, of course, a source of protein and uh, beneficial fats. And the problem is the modern day keto, I would say, is heavy in saturated fats. So it emphasizes a lot of animal products, meat and dairy, and completely neglects uh, vegetable intake. So, and we promote more plant-based fats than just focusing our fats from dairy and animal products. So think of like your avocados, your nuts, your seeds, and then even fish, which are rich in polyunsaturated fats. We try to emphasize that and having a wide variety of vegetables with different colors because they all produce or, you know, give someone different antioxidants, different polyphenols that help support cognitive function. And that's the way it should be. But, you know, modern day <laughs> practices have, have altered what the whole point of a ketogenic diet should be. Yeah. Well, and I, the word diet just stinks, you know, because we're all like stuck. Well, oh, I'm on this crash course diet thing, you know, and we've been pretty good over here in this household. My my sweetie had a scare a couple of weeks ago and the cupboards were emptied and the freezer was emptied from all of the junk that he had in there. And he was like, wow, I've been doing this for however many years he's been on the planet, I'm not going to say. And it's just like, you know, it's catching up. And now he's even in, it's been three weeks of no bread and he's already lost 13 pounds. Wow. That was the one change. I know. And I'm like, see, <laughs> it actually isn't as hard as it might need to be. And healthy food tastes really good if you just know how to do it, you know? So... Um, and encouraging the healthy nutrition is is good for me too, because together as we partner in it, instead of us eating like in these silos, because we didn't eat the same kind of food, it's really hard when you've got somebody that eats like shit and somebody that doesn't eat at all. 
Absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's actually, I will tell you, of the entire protocol, it's the diet that's the hardest for most people. Sure, of course. Every single time. And, you know, if you meet somebody who's in their seventh decade of life and they've been eating a certain way their whole life and you tell them to do the polar opposite of what they've been told their whole life, which was what? Low fat, right? And high carbohydrate diet. And they've been told that fat is bad and fat is not bad. You know, cholesterol is also not bad. I mean, to a certain extent, because that helps support our brain structure. We need cholesterol. And so you tell someone to say, hey, we need you to eat a, a 70% high fat diet, 20% protein and a 5 to 10% carbohydrate diet. It, it's very hard to process for them. Totally. And so, you know, and then you have somebody who might have cognitive impairment and then they're living with their spouse who's helping them support the protocol and they're not aware of the diet. And it's just sometimes it can become a little messy, but I would emphasize that is probably the most important aspect of the protocol. That doesn't mean that someone's going to be on a ketogenic diet forever, but this is for a period of time because we're doing it for a therapeutic cause. I love that. And because I know everything, it's almost like, well, I, what do you mean? I can't, I can't have my red wine anymore. Like, we're not saying you can't have red wine for the rest of your life, but can you like do it for a bit of time? No, right. <laughs> no, I cannot. <laughs> we need to find a replacement for wine. I'd be like oh a billionaire. God, I, join the club, honey. You and me both. We'll, we'll talk about that offline because it would be wonderful for us all. <laughs> so as we're patching up all of these holes in our Swiss cheese roof of ours, what happens when we don't? How important is it? I'm going to speak to myself in my age group right now only because a lot of my demographic is women between the age of 35 to 65 years old. And we are all overstressed in the middle of divorces. Our kids are a-holes. We're, we're, we're trying to do an MBA on the side. I mean, we're doing all of these things. And women are so much more affected. In, from I mean, statistically, we're more affected and we get more infections and we're more stressed out. We, we're more susceptible to getting ill. We're more empathic. We're all of these things because we're incredible. But I feel like so many of us women, we're, we're, we're dragon. I mean, mm -hmm. our wagons are dragon. Absolutely. And as women and just as a human being, we were not meant to carry such a load every single day. Right. You know, stress is not bad for short periods of time, but not continuously. So when we're looking at cognitive health, sometimes I'll, I'll say, let's take the word cognitive out. Let's forget the brain because the things that we apply for cognitive health also applies generally for most people for general health. We're talking about gut health, hormones, immune optimization vascular support, right? All these things go in line with cognitive support. I think when we see people who have physical issues, chronic disease, the question becomes, well, which person's going to end up having Alzheimer's and which one's going to end up not having Alzheimer's or which one will have a neurodegenerative disease like Parkinson's? There can be genetic components for that. And one thing I'll mention with genetics is there is a gene that we may have heard of called ApoE4. And ApoE4 is present in 25% of the population. So many people do carry it. But even having a, a one copy of that gene does not necessarily mean someone's on this inevitable path to dementia. But it does predispose to them. So, for example, you can have zero copies of ApoE4, you can have one copy, or you can have two copies. So having two copies of ApoE4 increases your risk of about 30 to 35%. Having one copy will increase your risk about 20 to 25%. And then having zero copies will increase your risk of dementia by 10 to 15%. So even with no genetic variables, you, there is still that risk factor because 
if you're chronically inflamed and you have a bunch of toxins and you have all these vitamin deficiencies, you could potentially be more likely to develop dementia. And think of dementia as a metabolic disease as well. So all the things that may cause high blood pressure and diabetes and metabolic syndrome, cancer, are also the same mechanisms that can promote neurodegeneration. So take that brain aspect out because it, it would still apply generally for, for general health purposes. Yeah. So we might not even have any darn problem with our brain, but our life and the things that we do, our lifestyle and all of it just starts creeping in and he might as well be genetic at that point. Right. <laughs> I right. mean, cause like, yeah, cause like my family, I, I've been going back and forth with my mom talking about like the stuff that we learned about my grandma when she was closer to, um, to passing away, she would have been 101 two days ago, which is nuts. And, um, but I mean, she was a, <laughs> She was crazy. Anyways, she, um, we, we, by the end of it, I mean, she had more health ailments than we didn't know about cancer stuff. We didn't know about her bones as much as we should have. I mean, there are all of these things. She had a bunch of strokes. My grandpa also, my mother's side, a bunch of strokes. I have no idea what my birth father's, what, I don't know if he's even alive, but whatever. I have no idea what that side of the family is dealing with, with their health. So I'm really only, and my stepdad is my dad. So I'm really only looking at what I got with my mom. And then, of course, all of these things like 23andMe and Ancestry. How do those play, if at all? And this is totally just impromptu here because I have no idea what may, this may go. But for 23andMe and these, I know a lot of us are leaning towards these for our genetics and steering a lot of our health towards our, our genes and where we've come from and ancestral traumas and all these things. Are those helpful, do you think, in your opinion? I'm putting you on the spot here, but yeah. do you think those are helpful for us or do you think they might get in the way of thinking they're almost like making me, when I read these things, almost, almost a hypochondriac, which I'm not. So like, I'm like, oh my God, there's all these things that are going on. I shouldn't be eating nuts. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I think for me, information is power. And I know a lot of people that, would rather dig their head in the sand. And I would caution them and say it, it will probably cause more harm down the road. You know, these like 23andMe and Ancestry, like you will be able to get your genetics for Alzheimer's. They do the APOE4. And I believe with 23andMe, you have an option of opting out because there's a lot of people that don't want to know. But that's the thing. There's this misconception that if you have the gene that you're on this inevitable path, and it, that is not true at all. And so if you look at conventional medicine right now, what they tell most people is say, you know what, get your affairs in orders. There's nothing we can do. You know, good luck, get your will set, and then, you know, we'll see you later. And th that applies to anybody at any point in their age group and whether they are symptomatic or not. And I've met, you know, children of people who have Alzheimer's and they're as fearful because they've witnessed it firsthand. They don't want to yeah. go through that, but they also don't want to do testing because they're scared. But it's education and empowerment. And there are people out there that have two copies of ApoE44 and are doing well because they're being proactive. And if you're not proactive, then who's to say, you know, what will happen afterwards? So, Well, the only person that can take care of you at the end of the day is you. So right. if you're going to just avoid, like I, I went and did a full body MRI in Los Angeles last November and I have another one coming up. And one of my girlfriends was like, why would you want to do that? Because like, what if you find like a tumor somewhere? I'm like, because I would want to find a tumor somewhere. Right. <laughs> like, right. why would I want that to be found 20 years later? And that's the reason I died. Like, so for me, I'm with you. Knowledge is power. And then there's that whole, you know, well, we're giving our DNA and the government's taking all that. I'm like, I don't care. I don't right. care. Like, good. <laughs> Maybe they can clone 10 of me to help me out over here because I'm exhausted. <laughs> 
Well, the good news is that, Gene, you can get it on a standard lab panel. You don't even have to go through 23andMe. So you can go to Quest or LabCorp or whichever. So that's yeah. an easy thing to do. Yeah. And and I like your point about like, don't stick your head in the sand because it's true. Because if you're like, oh, well, if I don't know it, then, you know, I don't know it. Well, I'm the person that wants to know. In fact, I, you know, I think I mentioned to you, but I was recently diagnosed with Lyme disease. And so I was like, wait a second, how, and I have been poked and prodded and stuck and cut into and sliced and diced. How did we miss this somewhere? Because I've always said we're missing something, we're missing something. I found out that Six years ago, I was di- I my I had a Lyme disease test and I was ragingly positive six years ago. Oh wow! And so that doctor, I, and I have to go back and re- f- figure out which doctor that was because I've been to so many of them. And I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" So now I'm faced with this. So when you have uh, when you have women, I'm speaking to women today more so instead of guys. I know we love you, but it's just it's just what we have to do. But mm-hmm. what it came <laughs> down to was I had to like really look at everything that I've been tested on and everything that... And I've had all the functional diagnostic testing. And now I'm at that place where it's the what now? What do I what do I tackle first here? You know, And how do I go about doing it? I know nutrition is my number one issue. That's it. Like for sure. I know that. But I need somebody to help me with that. I need somebody to help me with all this. I need like my own manager. That's where like a, a concierge doctor model I think works really well. But in functional medicine, what I love about it is you work well with uh, all of these other people that I'm working with, right? So mm-hmm. like Correct. an acupuncturist and all these people, we can come together and go, okay, this is what's happening here. <laughs> can we all get a grip and go, oh, well, that's what it is. And we need to be working on that. And that's a hard place to, to and it's a hard place to find. Like it's hard to get that group of people together and guiding us in that journey is, I can't imagine anything more lucrative than that in this world at this point for coming in and going, I'm going to help own your care. That's it. I own your, I own your care and I'm going to be in charge of it because you've got to live your life. And my job is to take you under my wing and go home and go, well, that doesn't make any sense. I really want to help out Lindsay. You know, I've never had a doctor give a shit about it ever. You know, right, don't right. take me home with them and call me the next morning and went, you know what? I think this might be it, you know? And that's Absolutely. where I think we're lacking a lot of. And that's where you I agree. Help. Yeah. And I know you're not like that. That's why I'm giving you kudos. <laughs> yeah. Well, I agree. And, you know, and you think about anybody with chronic illness, it's like carrying a backpack with like 60 pounds of rocks on your back and it just weighs you down and it feels good to give it to a practitioner, a physician to say, I need you to guide me in this process. And sometimes, you know, like, and naturally, you know, the human thing to do is you also want to help yourself. And so, you know, you research, you go online, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But then you kind of get paralyzed with the amount of information available. And then you go, well, which one is applicable to me? What's true? What's not true? And it's nice to give it to someone else to say, okay, let me be in charge of delineating what are things that we do and try with you. And then you just kind of sit back, not to be passive by any means, but to take that burden off. Because if you constantly are looking for solutions, it is very mentally draining on your poor adrenals, on your mental health, and you ruminate and you're trying to find answers all day long and you're never going to get a black and white answer because as humans, we're not black and white. It's not that simple. Yeah. I mean, we're everybody. Everybody is different, you know? And, you know, I read one thing about something and I'm like, that's not even remotely how I would approach my care in that. So that would work for somebody, but you're right. It's so incredibly time consuming. We go down these freaking Alice in Wonderland, you know, yes. like, and, and these rabbit holes. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should be doing ketamine. You know, maybe I should be doing this. Maybe I should be doing this. I really need to reduce my inflammation. 
And I really need to decrease my pain level. And I really need to decrease, decrease my stress. And I really need to eat more. These are the things that I need to do. Do I have any time for this? I do not. <laughs> That's it's, it's part cool. of the problem too. And it's also financially exhausting for some people Absolutely. that live in chronic pain. Not just chronic pain. Anybody that has any kind of illness of any sort. Um, you know, it, it's freaking expensive and it's even more expensive now than it used to be. And I'm fortunate that I'm in a place where it, not that money is money. I, we do have a budget over here, but we right, are fortunate right. enough that I can spend money if I wanted to get a ketamine, you know, a, a trial of ketamine for a while yes. and, uh, in, infusion, but that's not what everybody else can do. So what do we do to help, help people be able to get good care in the way that we're talking about that's healthy and not just big pharma throwing a bunch of pills down our throats? You know, it, it, it's a challenging thing. Because I actually think that's more exhausting. The, the, the cognitive part of trying to show up and be here every day and be the stellar personality all day long, it's, it's exhausting. It is, it is a full-time job just to run my body. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And to speak to your point on expenses, you know, I look at people who invest in their health is, as an investment, right? And you invest with the hopes that it's going to give you some return back. And with chronic disease, you're paying for sick care. So yes, it, if certain services fall under the world of insurance, that's great, but that's not keeping you healthy. And nothing wrong with having health insurance, but when you're trying to step out of the bounds of um, conventional medicine and you're trying to find solutions for yourself, unfortunately, you're, you're very limited on what conventional medicine can offer. I personally, I'd rather spend thousands of dollars in supplements and thousands of dollars in hospital admissions. You know, to me... You invest that money now and prevent from spending it in the future for acute sick care, which is much more expensive to be hospitalized and have 20 medications than it is to make lifestyle changes. And so from a budget perspective, there are a lot of things that people can do that they can feel empowered to do that doesn't really cost them anything, like sleeping better, right? Doing some sort of physical exercise. I know, and it depends on the person. I know not everyone can physically exercise, but sometimes having that exercise can increase something called BDNF in our brain, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor. That's like fertilizer for your brain. So those are easy things to do. Keto is technically free, right? So you're going to eat anyways, so you might as well just change what you're eating. Right. Yeah, good point. And getting um, good sleep, like I mentioned, uh, stress reduction. I know that's a, a, you know, that's a big term, but stress in, in, in management is in different ways, you know, and I think that people who have a lot of stressors have to kind of plan and see what are things they can get off their plate. What are things that are worth it and what are things that are not? And if you have to be stressed out, you have to make time for those cortisol levels to go down. There has to be a decompression time because cortisol and stress are okay in short bursts, but it cannot be continuous. So life will always throw us challenges and sometimes those are out of our control, but we also can be intentional about making time to decompress, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah, and that's a good point because, like, for a, and I, obviously, I speak for myself on the show, but um, I, I, I'm in fight or flight all the time. You know, I've always got a bear chasing me, and it's just I'm just I'm pooped. Yeah, <laughs> I think my bear's actually getting pretty tired too, so <laughs> I might be wearing him out, and he's going to kick the bucket. That would be great. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> how does how does chronic stress over time affect our brain? Can it lead to the you know, dementia and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and things like that when we're talking about you know our brain? No, it absolutely can. And if they've done even PET scans on uh, 
uh, people's brains were people under chronic tremendous stress. They actually had something called hippocampal atrophy, which is shrinkage of the part of the brain where memories are stored in form. So it absolutely can affect the role of neurodegeneration for sure. And, you know, stress, when I look at stress and it comes to chronic disease, sometimes stress is the problem, but I find that it's just kind of like the gasoline on the fire. So stress usually brings to light maybe some pre-existing issues, but I do believe there are some situations where just stress in itself, it can cause this kind of impairment. And it can be a tough thing to deal with because stress kind of is there in the background, meaning we don't think about it, we know it's there, but it doesn't kind of ring the alarm bells and say, oh my gosh, I need to do something about this. We just accept it as our normal. Yeah, until something triggers one of them that's kind of been sitting there kind of mulling over like, should I come out and, you know, give you a a big party today or what? And that's how, I mean, my life has been very, very, very stressful over the past couple of years in particular. And you can tell we are making as as a couple and even within my family and my friends, we've we've all kind of said, we all need to de-stress. Like for each other as a community, as a little village... (laughs) of family and friends, we're all like, we are all burning the candle. We all need to start holding ourselves more accountable and also help not stressing you out as well. So like our friendships, like don't be crazy about up their butt about like, what are we doing? Where are we going with it? You know, like everybody just slow down a little bit, you know, and take a beat. The world is not going to end if we're five minutes late to something. I hate that. Exactly. But it is because I'm super time. I value people's time so much, but including my own, but it's still like, okay, well, That's another thing that's come up. I'm almost late for everything now. Mm. I have no idea why. Is it because I don't care as much? No, I think it's been part of me in in putting into place these don't get so worked up about it. Don't don't make a mountain out of a molehill. All of those things. Don't sweat the small stuff. All of the cliche statements, you know, that we read in like the 90s and all of the like, chicken soup for the soul books came out and stuff. Right. You know, <laughs> that's like, that's what we need to be doing. And um, I can almost feel my brain feeling happier even just saying those words about stress reduction, you know, because yes. it, is, it yes. is everywhere and it is incredibly rampant in our lives. It is, and it's it's lifestyle, it's cultural. You know, I know there's other people or you know other people that live in different countries that don't have the American lifestyle like we do. I mean, we're yeah. a capitalist country. It's about go go go, make money, make money, and and health and wellness is not really prioritized. It is, it absolutely is. And so, you know, one of the things that helps me personally is looking at the big picture and say, is it worth getting stressed over this? Is anything negative going to happen? Let let's say I'm five minutes late, or let's say I don't get this assignment done. What is the worst case scenario that can happen? And if there really isn't a worst case scenario, then don't worry about it. Show up 10 minutes late instead. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Who cares? Who cares? (laughs) No, but it is is true. And um, so, okay, so um, before we leave, um, what are you guys doing there at your practice in order to work with uh, brain cognition and retraining the brain and the brain health connection? What what are you guys doing over there for your your patients and your lovelies that come in? So kind of like what I mentioned before about, you know, getting that detailed intake, doing some lab testing, and then formulating a plan, which always involves a ketogenic diet. Um, but in terms of specific lifestyle plans that will be unique to the patient, we encourage them to do some kind of brain training or some kind of cognitive exercise every day. Uh, Dr. Bredesen works with a company called Apollo Health. So we encourage patients to sign up with Apollo Health. We're not affiliated with them by any means, but we do use them as a tool. And they do have resources on there that can help support the program. Um, They can get recipes online. They can do brain games through a company called Brain HQ. And so 
working with that together. And then I always involve a Recode certified health coach in the process to really support with the lifestyle aspects. Because to me, that is the hardest part. Everyone's happy to swallow a supplement, you know, and the supplement is not going to make or break the protocol if you're doing all the wrong things. Sure. And so, you know, one thing we used to do is um, brain mapping. We had a, a an EEG machine in our office that we used to look at brain frequency and changes in brain patterns. Um, and that has been very helpful, especially when we have people that come in where we can't tell if it's dementia versus chronic depression or some kind of other metabolic disease. And looking at the brainwave patterns, can you can differentiate those things. So that has been very helpful. Um, and time, you know, time and patience, because most of the time we don't see immediate benefits. And for some, there's a lucky few that we'll, we will. But I usually will tell people, give it six months. I mean, just stick with it. And have the most social support that you can, which is the most important thing. If someone's doing this program alone, I can tell you it can be very challenging for them. And they may not even have the insight to continue to do the program on their own. They might forget what they were supposed to eat or what they were supposed to do. So, you know, I find this program, I don't even like calling it a program, but I do find it, it's it's rewarding, but it is very challenging on both parties' ends because of the time and commitment and and the kind of the minutia that can get involved when we're doing the program. Well, the minutia is where it's at though. That, that's that, true. That's the entire point of it. That's why I've been so pissed off for all of these years because I've, everyone's been looking at like, well, your cholesterol is high. So let's put you on a statin. I'm like, I'm not taking a statin. I'm like 102 pounds wet. I, I barely eat. <laughs> it's not because my cholesterol is high. Familial. Yes, I have it by both my grandma and my mother. Did you ask me those questions? Yeah. Also, my liver is sluggish. My gallbladder is sluggish. My spleen is a disaster. Do you think any of those things might have to play with my cholesterol? But exactly. no, let's just, let's just give her a pill and call it a day. And we don't do that. So I mean, my cholesterol is 352, mm. which is nuts, right? So we've right, got right. all of these, all of these things. And I need that. I need, I, I need a champion that own that basically owns me and bosses me around. And as a control freak, I need that. And I've gotten so much better at relinquishing control, not only in my in my world of health, but also within my business. I mean, I finally like got somebody to help me after 24 years. What was the rush on that one, Lindsay? (laughs) (laughs) But to your point about time and giving it time, I've given my body 10 years of this crap. What's six months, you know, or whatever? We've we've gone through the motions over the years, right? It's just now it's, oh, well, we don't really want to eat those apples or we don't really like broccoli or whatever. It is just like get over yourself. We have to do these things. They're so simple, big picture. And they do make big, they do make changes. And as soon as I did start eating again, I'm not perfect yet. I mean, we're, we're, we're getting there, but it's like, everybody's like clapping when I eat now. <laughs> yes, mom, I'm eating. Everybody clap. Everybody stand up. Good God. But it's, I feel like I've got everybody's eye on me because people are holding me accountable for making sure that I put food in my body. <laughs> Which is amazing to have that support group. Yeah, it we be need so support. Isolating. It yeah. is. It, it being in chronic pain is isolating in and of itself. You know, you're just exactly. like alone in your body all day. So, oh my gosh, all of this is so so good. I'm so grateful to have met you. Oh, likewise, <laughs> and for having you. you here. So, um, is there anything you'd like to leave us with before we hit the dusty trail? I'd say, be empowered, be proactive about your health, whether it's about cognition or brain or anything else you are in control of your health. And I think it's important that you go ahead and find someone that will be a health guidance in your journey and a supportive person, whether it's a practitioner or a coach. But I strongly believe that we are 
very much able to heal. And it's just a matter of time and resources. It sure is. Absolutely. We absolutely can heal ourselves. That's why I'm here. Because I'm going to heal myself with this conversation, the ones before and the ones that are coming up. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you can. Thank you so much. You can find her at apostleifm.com. And she's not only darling to look at, but she's incredibly brilliant at what she does. And hope that you guys have had a good time with us today. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you. You are exclusively invited to share this empowering VIP pain journey together. Let's get to the heart of how to heal with you by my side. Do you know someone who is living in and with chronic pain or is having cognitive issues, just overall has Swiss cheese for a brain? Why don't you go ahead and give Dr. Apostle a call? Reach out to me here at the Pain Game Podcast. I'd love to get to know you and connect and hear your stories and see how gritty you can be. Please follow the Pain Game Podcast wherever you digest your podcast content. We will be there. Visit us at thepaingamepodcast.com and follow us on all the socials. Thanks for listening, my little VIPs. Catch you on the other side. <laughs>